The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Father, we bow before the Most High God, and um, as we do that, Lord, we ask that you be lifted up in our presence. We also, God, we ask that you teach us. Uh, would you um, reveal your truth to us now during this time as we look at your word, I pray. Amen. Well, um, unlike Adam, I've only been on one week. Actually, you were here last week. Um, I'm sorry, I got to get, uh, get this out of the way. But I missed last week. I'll tell you, I am really excited to be back. I... Uh, I've had a weird month, not a bad month, mostly a good month, but, you know, like, so three weeks ago, the team from Life Action was here, and uh, that was great, we enjoyed that, but, you know, we had guests in our home, and it was kind of, just kind of weird, and we thought, okay, we need to get back to normal, and, and then we had a little, we'll call it a family uh, need, I don't know what to call it, but we went, uh, Francis and I had to take off for Oklahoma to help out a little situation there, so between Sunday and Sunday, we were down there, and we came back for the weekend, and then we had planned our summer vacation in the fall because this summer I was had my new hip, you know, I wasn't quite running around the mountains yet. But now, you know, I'm like a stinking billy goat. But uh, but we but uh, so we went out there this week. Uh, this I'm sorry, this past week we were out in the uh, southwest, and we saw we saw the Grand Canyon. Ooh, and we saw Zion National Park, really nice, if you've ever been there, and uh, then we saw Las Vegas for a few hours, but anyway, we'll tell you about that some other time. Uh, we went uh, kayaking down the uh, Colorado River, that was exciting, and we saw the uh, Phoenix Sunset, you know, they're kind of famous for their sunsets with the little cacti and everything like that. I got to tell you, all those things that we saw yesterday morning, I'm riding out Fur Road, uh, coming out here past Barners, and you look no, oh, fur roads that way. Uh, somebody's pointing the wrong way on me. Uh, and, um, and that bank of trees behind uh, the Varners there is as pretty as anything I saw. Now, of course, right here only last two weeks is supposed to snow tomorrow, but it was as pretty uh, as anything I saw. But uh, no, we're actually excited to be back. And uh, this is, for me, especially this morning, it's kind of like, okay, I feel like I'm home again. And as much as I, you know, vacation is good, I was, re I was really ready to come home. And uh, we're ready to go here in the book of Revelation. But we are almost done our summer series. Um, and summer's long gone, so we're, we're going to step on the gas a little bit today in the book of Revelation. We're going to do chapter 17, which is, uh, just talks about an incredible crash of something. We're going to do chapter 18, which again talks about an incredible crash of something. And then we're going into chapter 19, that's where the fun begins, because we're going to talk about the greatest bash that ever was, will be, anything like that, known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, you ready for all that? Okay, because we're covering three chapters, we're not going to read everything, but we're going to read a lot of each chapter to kind of set it up here. So from chapter 17, here we go. You ready? So let's see if I said what I was supposed to at the beginning. Yeah, weird four weeks, all that. Yeah, home better. Yeah, accelerate. Yeah, we're good. Uh, now, we are going to look in, as you look into 17 and 18, you might have subtitles in your Bible that talk about the fall of Babylon. Babylon, remember, um, it's the city that's mentioned more in the Bible than any city other than Jer Jerusalem, but it's a, lot, a lot of times it's not actually talking about the city, it's talking about figuratively Babylon is for the world. 
Okay, it's talking about the world that in the sense of not for God so lovable world, but in the sense of a world that has rejected God and a system that doesn't go along with God. That's Babylon. So it's going to talk about the fall of that system here. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute. Now, you might have a different translation that uses a nicer word, okay, not nicer, but it might say harlot, it might say whore even, uh, not nice words at all, who is seated in many waters and whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk, okay, so it is describing this prostitute. Uh, and the consensus, and again, as we focus on Revelation, we talk about the uh, the the main things are the plain things. Well, one thing that is very plain in chapter 17 is that the, this prostitute that is talking about here, it gives us a picture of the world's religion. Okay? This is the one world religion that has taken over. And it has seduced the kings of the earth in that they are drawn away from the true God into idolatry with this false religion, with this one religion. So uh, let's, let's read a little bit more. We'll come back to that. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. This is John talking. And here's what I saw. I saw this woman sitting on the scarlet beast. Okay. On the Antichrist. Riding there full of blasphemous names. Who had the seven heads and the ten horns. That was the Antichrist we've described in other chapters. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adored with gold and jewels and pearls. Holding in her hand a cup full of abominations and impurities of sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of, my, of mystery, Babylon the great, mother of prostitutes and of all earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the, look at this, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Come back to this idea, but I want to point this out to you. The greatest enemy of true religion is false religion. Okay, the greatest enemy of true religion is false religion. And it says here, John said, when I saw this, I marveled greatly, perhaps because, wait a minute, persecution is coming mainly from the religious crowd? That doesn't make sense. Surely it wouldn't be the religious crowd, but that is exactly what happens because false religion is the greatest enemy of true religion. Okay, so the persecution is coming here, this false religion, this one world religion at this time. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast, the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. Now, I'm going to jump ahead here. I'm not going to go into describing everything about this because, again, the main things are the plain things, and I didn't understand it all. But, uh, but uh, I want to jump ahead and show you what happens to this one-world religion, if you will, okay? And the ten horns that they saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. Now, wait a minute. Earlier in the chapter, we saw she was riding on the beast. It was like she was controlling the beast, if you will. She had the reins in her hands. But now that woman will be hated. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over the royal power to the beast until the words of God be fulfilled. Okay, now I want to stop here and just kind of draw some conclusions uh, from chapter 17. What we have here is the fall of Babylon religious system or this one world religion. Okay, and what you have here is an incredibly unified church. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought unity was a good thing. I thought unity was a good thing. 
In fact, go through the Bible. I have it up there. I could tell you in a minute how many times the words one another are in Scripture. I mean, it's a lot. When Paul wrote to the churches, he talked about how we are to love one another, and we are to edify one another, and we are to encourage one another, and how we are to be of the same mind. Unity is a theme throughout Scripture that is very strong, and I don't want us to miss that. I don't want us to forget that, how important that is, but what the Bible is talking about is unity among believers in Jesus Christ. There is not a call for us to unite with false religions. Okay, very plainly, I want to say that because more and more in our world today of relativism where it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere and you can believe whatever way you want, this is a very unpopular idea. Why is it that Christianity today is often the most hated religion? Why is it that the one world religion is going to persecute believers in Jesus Christ? Why is it hated so? Because Christianity says what I am about to say right now. There is one way to heaven and that is through Jesus Christ. That's it. So uh, I'm sorry. I, no, I'm not sorry. I, I have to say this boldly. Wow, well, don't you think a devout Muslim? No. There's one way. It's through Jesus Christ. Don't you think a devout Hindu person? No. There's one way. It's through Jesus Christ. See how unpopular that is? And see, that is why I'll tell you around here that I want to be very careful that I do not needlessly offend anybody. In other words, I don't want to bring up something that I didn't have to say that offends half the crowd. I don't, you know, by accident, a few weeks ago, I made fun of a politician. I wish I hadn't. It really was by accident. Uh, but I don't like to do that because I don't want you to go out of here mad at me because of something I said politically. I don't want you to go out of here mad at me because something I said about Notre Dame. Cheer. Sorry, they lost us. Uh, I, don't, you know, I, don't, I don't want you to go out mad because I got enough to offend you right when I say these words. Jesus is the one and only way to heaven. Okay, right there, that, that's enough. And that is the message. And that is the message that will be hated by this one world government. I'm sorry, one world religious system that is telling you, oh, no, hey, as long as you're sincere, as long as we got to unite everybody. So I am not going to be too excited about the whole idea of, Pastor, what if you had a chance to stand up with the leader of Hinduism and the leader of Islam and everything like that and join together to fight this cause? I'm not going to get too excited about it. I think the only one that will get excited about it is Antichrist. And see, and see watch, watch what he does in this story. Remember at the beginning, she's riding him. She has the reins. Okay, see what's happening there? This Antichrist is kind of getting, uh, you know, support from her and kind of control from her from this one world religion. And he's kind of getting his power from that. But bottom line is nobody, he's not going to have anybody be worshipped but himself. So bottom line is he's going to turn on her because the worship has to come to him. But at the beginning, he is going to use religion. Are you tracking with me at all here? Have you ever seen a politician try to use religion to get votes and popularity and power? Oh, uh, shock of ages, isn't it? And uh, that's what we see all the time in, in the world. We see this happen. Uh, and, you know, I mentioned a few weeks ago, and uh, I think I'm in line saying this, uh, Indiana lost its congresswoman, Jackie Walorski. I think she was one of the few that was a Christian, devout in her faith, first of all, and then later on went into politics. But I will say, well, again, one of the few. I mean, hopefully you're observant enough to see with me all the time uh, what politicians do. Oh, yeah, I'm devout in this. You know, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah, everything like that. It doesn't match their life at all, but they're going to throw that in there and use that for power. Well, the Antichrist is going to be the best one at that. He's going to say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm part of this. I'm, uh, the, the, the church is in control here. But 
Bottom line is, nobody, he's going to allow nobody to be worshipped but himself, and he's going to turn on this one world religion, and it is going to collapse. Okay? Got it? Okay, let's, let's go to the ch next chapter. Chapter 18. Got another collapse. Uh, another crash. And uh, we'll see very quickly what it is. I'm going to actually jump over to chapter 10 and just describe the crash. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, the great city, the mighty city, Babylon, for a single hour your judgment has come. I want you to kind of keep that idea in your head, this single hour business, fast and furious, it is going to fall. And the merchants, and here we go, who is going to fall, of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. This second collapse is an economic collapse or the financial system of this world, if you will. Cargo, gold, silver, jewels, pearls, none of this is being bought. Fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine. Hey, sound like the Christmas story there for a second. Uh, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses, chariots and slaves, that is human souls. <sighs> And the fruit of which your soul long has gone from you. Okay, wait a minute. The fruit for which your soul longed for. You see, a world that was, that's what they wanted. They were consumed by consumerism. They were consumed by materialism. They lived in a material world. And they were a material girl. I'm sorry, I had to say that. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but they were consumed by that. And all our delicacies and splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. Everything is going to leave. Remember, in an hour, the merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand afar off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple, scarlet, adorned in gold and jewels and pearls. For a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. All the shipmasters, seafaring men, sailors, and all who traded the sea stood afar off, and they cried as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they, it was so wonderful, man. We had so much. It was so beautiful, this Babylon. And they threw dust on their heads, and they wept, and they mourned, and they cried. Alas, alas, the great city where all the ships of the sea uh, grew, wealth, uh, grew rich by her wealth. Rejoice over it. L listen. The people of God, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment uh, for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be no more. And the sound of the harpists, musicians, the flute players and trumpeters, everything that was so prosperous and wonderful will be heard no more. And the craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more, and the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more, and the light of the lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard no more, for your merchants were the great ones of the earth. All the nations were deceived by your sorcery. Remember that word sorcery. We're going to come back to a few minutes, but okay, again, chapter 17, the world's religious system collapses. Chapter 18, the world's financial system. Now, uh, finish this phrase for me, please. Money is the root of? Let's say that again. Money is the root of? Okay, I just led you astray. Did you know that? Okay, because the Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. We always think it does. Most everybody uh, have that, and they quote, I'm quoting the Bible. Money is the root of all evil. E evil. The Bible does not say that. I don't want to make that very plain. Correct me. What does the Bible say? The love of money. Okay, the love of money. And I think this is very crucial because sometimes 
well, let me, let me say it like this. If I were to stand up here and preach against you having nice things, okay, or I was to preach against you having good investment or being able to leave your children uh, money and things like that, or ha having anything like that, I believe I would be preaching against what Scripture teaches. Okay, I think Scripture talks about those being blessings. Now, obviously, Jesus did not. Jesus was poor on this earth. But uh, I think he calls us to be willing to go to a life of poverty, but he doesn't necessarily call everybody to a life of poverty. Okay, very simply. I, I find it uh, frustrating to me sometimes when people are like, and I've had this happen a couple times here. Somebody will come to me and they'll say, you know, Pastor... Uh, yeah, this is kind of my sin. I, I bought this. And they bought something nice for themselves. Please never apologize. If you want to share it with me, fine. But, uh, but please never apologize for having something nice. In one church, I had a guy that uh, he had a car for a couple years. It was a really sweet car. And he would never let anybody at church know he had it because he was embarrassed like he had spent too much money on it. Don't do that. Bring it in. Loan it to me. Say it's a nice day. Uh, you can take a ride to look at the leaves or stuff like that. Uh, but because we get this idea that somehow money is wrong. Okay? Uh, it is not. There is a love of money. And uh, small groups this week will have a chance to kind of discuss what that looks like. And what does that mean, you know, that, that, that I love money and, and uh, you know, that's in my heart and that's ruling in my heart. Because truth of the matter is having money is not wrong. But as we look at this whole thing, as we look at this whole picture of what happens in chapter 18, we need to understand that none of that lasts. Okay? Bottom line is it's all going to be destroyed. Now, that doesn't mean, uh, you know, you don't have a retirement account. It doesn't mean any of those things. I'm just saying that if my faith and my hope is placed in that, I got, I'm wrong, okay? I, I'm, I'm headed for trouble if my faith is in place, is hope in the commerce of this world and the merchandise. And you know, I hope I'm making sense. I'm not preaching against being a wise businessman. That'd be stupid. The Bible gives us good principles of being a wise businessman, managing your finances as well. And again, I'm not preaching against having things. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that if this is somehow... Okay, let me go back to that word sorcery. The last word, it says they've been deceived by their sorcery. That, the root of that word goes back to the pharmaceutical idea. It is that idea of you know, somehow finding a self... I'm sorry, a false uh, sense of filling me up. Okay? It is that idea of being addicted to drugs, really, and that idea is this is what is going to make me happy. When commercialism becomes that, this is what is going to make me happy, that's where we're messed up. It is easy to see some things in life that are addictive. You know, we think of, uh, we think of somebody who turns to the bottle, you know, to make them happy and forget their problems. Or we think of somebody who turns to drugs. Or you think of somebody who's trying to fill up their life with pornography. And it's easy to see the addictiveness of those things and how... But, but probably the greatest battle that most people deal with is trying to fill up their life with things. Um, we, uh, I mentioned one of our little journeys over the last month was to head for uh, Oklahoma. I don't know if I said that or not, but went to Poto. Maybe the last time I went to Poto. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, we went down to Poto. Frances and I spent a week going through all her parents' things, which is uh, you know, to kind of figure out they're moving out and we had to figure out what was wor worth selling at the estate sale and what was worth giving away and what was worth saving. Bottom line, it came down to about a closet full of clothes and a tub for each of them that was worth saving. The rest of the stuff, hey, maybe we can get a dime out of this in the estate sale and, and, and things like that. And, and some of you have been through that and it's hard, but yet at the same time, it does remind us 
stuff. Stuff. It just doesn't fill us up. And we try to satisfy ourselves so often with stuff, but it ain't going to work out very well in the long run. So, okay, I'm going to take a breath here. I've been rushing on purpose because I wanted to make sure I had time for this last point because it's getting good. Okay, we talked about a crash. The world's uh, religion going down. We talked about the uh, crash. The world's financial. Oh, I forgot to show you the slide. Oh. I forgot to read the rest of the thing. Oh, no, that was that. Okay, uh, there you go. The financial system down. Do you feel more complete now that you've seen that slide? I know I, know I feel better. Uh, okay, but now we're going to move into chapter 19, and we're going to talk about, we're going to move a whole different direction, and we're going to switch, and we're going to get ready for the end of this book, which is can't wait to get to it. Okay, knew it was coming all along, can't wait to get to it, uh, the end of Revelation. So our... Uh, let's read at the beginning here of chapter 19, and we're going to get about halfway through the chapter. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice, great multitude in heaven, crying, hallelujah, hallelujah. We were just singing that. Sorry, that was me singing while we were just singing. Beautiful thing, wasn't it? Uh, Salvation and glory belong to our God, for his judgments are just and true. true. Here's the theme that we keep coming back to as the book of Revelation unfolds, and it talks about the judgments of God. The praise of heaven says his judgments are just and true. What God does is right. The one who created the whole universe will do no wrong. This is a beautiful thing. Let us praise him together. Hallelujah. Because his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the whole earth with their immorality. And he has avenged on her the blood of the servants. We'll come back to this idea in a minute here. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah. And the smoke goes up forever and ever. Remember that phrase. It's not terrible that torment is forever and ever. But remember this again and, and lock this into your brain. Why would God have it be forever and ever? Why wouldn't he just, and it's over. The righteousness of God can never be satisfied by human suffering. It is only satisfied in the life and death of Jesus Christ that he laid down his life. Don't forget that. You know, why is judgment forever and ever? Because that suffering will never satisfy the holiness of God. Only Jesus Christ. That's why we want to trust and believe in him because that's the only thing that will satisfy his wrath. Sorry, but that's just even fun to say. It's so true and it's so good. I get excited. Okay, so anyway, and the 24 elders and all the four living creatures fell down and they worshiped. We've seen this several times through Revelation and God is seated on the, on the thrones. Uh, God who is seated on the throne. Amen. Hallelujah. They're worshiping him. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the mighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Here's what's going to take place here. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. Now, we're going to talk about this for a few minutes. His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her, and that is the church, that is us. It was granted to us by him to clothe ourselves in fine linen and bright and pure. Okay, remember, I've talked about that. I get to say, hey, you know what? I am righteous before God because it was granted to me by him. What he did has nothing to do with me uh, or my own works. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But he said to me, you must not do that. Okay, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm 
John wants to worship the angel. He says, uh, no, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He says, don't worship me. It all goes to God. Let's talk a little marriage supper of the Lamb, okay? But uh, six years ago, actually six years ago this month, uh, I had a buddy that I went to high school with, and uh, he said, hey, I want to come out and see your church. And uh, yeah, uh, come out and spend a weekend with you. So he came out. He got, he got in Saturday afternoon. We went out and went golfing. And he came and visited our church. Now, this is 2016. He visited our church in the fall, in November, uh, October of 2016. When he came in, this church was adorned in a certain type of apparel. 2016, Cubs fans. Yeah, he came in that Sunday. I think he had just won the National League pennant or whatever like that, and every blooming idiot, I mean, every wonderful Cubs fan in the play uh, was adorned in their Cubs. Uh, yeah, I just offended needlessly. I'm sorry. I uh, said I didn't want to do that, but uh, everybody was adorned in their Cubs, uh, everything. Honestly, if that day, instead of worship, we'd have played Go Cubs Go, the revival would have broken out. <laughs> People have fallen on their face and given all their money to the church. Uh, it would have been incredible. But uh, the, uh, but I mean, it was uh, the Cubs had won. Now listen, I I actually rejoice with you because I know what Cubs fans had been through. I was thinking about all the years and all the heartbreaks and the Moises loose ball that he didn't catch and uh, go back through the end, the cat that crossed over in front of Don Kessinger. Some of you go way back with that one. I was thinking about all of the Cub heartaches and everything like that, and finally they won. Francis and I, that was November. Francis and I, we went in May for her birthday. We went up to Chicago and saw uh, Hamilton. And at the end of Hamilton, the cast sang, you go Cubs, go. And it was like revival broke out in the theater. I mean, yes, that was seven months ago. Get over it. Uh, but, you know, they were just having such a good time with this incredible party. I want us to realize that the celebration of heaven. Listen, back in the day that we're talking about, uh, the time of the Bible, there was no bigger celebration than a wedding celebration to begin with. That was, that was a big deal. I want us to try to imagine a little bit what this celebration is going to be like. We can't. Uh, we, we, we can't really get there because our celebrations and even our worship is always tainted. Our worship always comes back a little bit to how it makes me feel. You know, it's not going to come back to that at all. It's going to be all about how he feels, and it's going to be a focus on him. But when I think about these Cubs and their long-suffering, Cub fans and their long-sufferingness, I think about how the martyrs are going to be on this day at the Mary's Supper of the Lamb, those who have given their life in in. in following Jesus. And I think, man, they, can you imagine? Can you imagine the hallelujahs? I mean, you know, Adam said, I'd love to hear you sing. And I, I get that. Boy, I love that. There's a couple weeks when I've sat closer to the back and I can't quite catch everybody. And I, and I miss that. I love sitting in the front and hearing everybody sing. I love that. Can you imagine what it will be like at the marriage supper of the lamb? I don't think we can. I, I, I don't think there's any way that in this day. Now, I want to show you something else here for a second. Um, I want to show you a verse that uh, Paul wrote to the uh, Corinthian church. Uh, try to understand this here for a second. He says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. Notice those, those words, divine jealousy. Well, isn't jealousy bad? Not a divine jealousy. God is jealous for us. 
Okay? Now, I've said this before, too. I think there's a jealousy, for example, in marriage that is inappropriate, but there's also a good jealousy. I mean, somebody flirts with my wife, I think it is good that I get mad. I don't know how to say that. Uh, but, uh, I mean, now, you know, if I'm paranoid, you know, buddy, you're staring at my wife? You know, that. I'm sorry. I got sidetracked there for a second. Okay. For I feel a divine jealousy, he says, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin birth to Christ. I wanted to talk about this for a minute. Some of you maybe remember this in the Christmas story that Mary and Joseph, before Jesus was born, were betrothed. I'm going to kill that word. Uh, they were, which what, what that meant is they had already in, entered into a legal commitment. By law, they were married. Okay, it was a done deal. However, they had not yet spent time together. They have not yet consummated the marriage, okay? Uh, and uh, so, therefore, you know, they were in that waiting period. And there comes a day then when the bridegroom will come and take his bride. <laughs> in other words, they would say goodnight, she'd go back to her house. But there comes a day when there's this great celebration. And the bridegroom goes and he takes the bride from her house to his house. Paul wrote to them and he says, right now, this is where you are. But I have betrothed you. Betro I, I'm sorry, I'm killing that word. Uh, basically, I have helped you to enter into that relationship. And it's as binding as any relationship uh, when you're saved and you know Jesus Christ and you have that. But right now, you're still living, if you will, in your house. This is the day when he comes and he takes us to his house. Isn't that awesome? Just to think about. And I hope you'll grab a hold of that idea because, you know, as we've gone through this, I think about this. So, you know, how does this help us practically? Well, once again, I'll say we live in this world that is so fouled up. And we look at it all the time and we say, you know, when is this all going to end? This is when it's all going to end. When Jesus comes and he takes us from this world that we return to, uh, the, you know, this world, stuff like that. Now, it's already a done deal, okay? We are betrothed. I think I said it right once. Um, but uh, we are, we are, it's a done deal. It's a sealed deal. We belong to him. But on this day, he comes and he says, hey, now it's on. And the celebration is incredible. Okay? The, the, uh, the balloons are flying. I don't, you know, I, I tried to get, you know, different pictures of celebration. I, I don't think I can do it. I don't think there's any way. I mean, again, can you, can you imagine these saints who have laid down their life? Who have been martyred. Can you imagine this celebration? It's unbelievable. Okay, really weird il illustration. Yesterday, <laughs> there's a shocker. Um, but uh, yesterday, I'm sitting here finalizing the sermon, and um, I wanted to get, I, I like to work a sunny, beautiful morning, and you know, I wanted to work. So I took my car and I angled it towards that rock in the corner of the parking lot. If anybody wants that rock, get it out of here. But anyway, uh, I angled it because that's the only place I could see any colors off in the distance. So that's where I sat, and I was working on my sermon, and I finished this up, and I started up the car to pull back over towards the church building, and when I did, uh, the oldies station was on, and the oldies were doing a uh, special on families that sang together. Yeah, that was a beautiful thing, but the song that came on involved, was a family of three brothers from California, the Wilson boys, and, uh, and they sang with a cousin and a friend. Some of you know who I'm talking about. They were known as the Beach Boys. 
Now, the reason I say it's a weird illustration, please don't, do not think that I'm holding up the Beach Boys as spiritual teachers for us. I'm pretty sure they were pretty heavily into transcendental meditation and probably smoked anything they could roll. But, uh, so I'm not holding them up as leaders, but I started to listen to one of their songs on there. Again, I just finished thinking about the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the song comes on, and it was, Wouldn't It Be Nice? Wouldn't it be nice if we were older? Okay, uh, but it says, then we will live together in, in, a, in the world that we're supposed to live in. Said, again, I'm not suggesting these Beach Boys were inspired by God for their writing. Uh, but as I read that, I thought, wouldn't that be, won't that be great when we live together? Wouldn't it be great, great when I can say goodnight and stay together? Uh, basically, when I am there with Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know. I'm a weird man. Uh, but, but, you know, I got to think of it. That, that was my song I took away singing. I probably need to put the Christian station on. Uh, but uh, that was my song I was, I was singing, you know, moving forward is, man, how wonderful that is going to be. And I hope that as we go through uh, Revelation, you know, my goal in doing this was not to get you into the details of, uh, Curtis, tell me what the seven horns represent. Uh, yeah, the what? Uh, like that. Or to get, get you any of that, because like I said, some of that I still haven't figured out. But the main idea that we see in this is that in God's judgment, he is perfect. We can trust that he is perfect in all that he does, because that's who he is. And that we understand that uh, you need to read the back of the book. And we're just getting there now. And understand that, in the, that, there, that this event is coming. This marriage supper of the Lamb is coming. And the day comes when the groom, Jesus, comes and takes his bride. You know we're called his bride throughout Scripture. And we are pure and chaste because he has granted that to us, that he has given us a purity in him. And the day comes where right now, hey, it's a done deal. I don't have a single doubt in my mind, okay? I, if, if I croak and you're holding my funeral, please say with assurance, I know he's in heaven because I am sure of that. I'm trusting completely in the fact that Jesus Christ uh, paid the price for my, my sin. That's the only way that price can be satisfied, and I'm trusting in it. I'm good to go, Okay? Uh, so I want you to know that is a done, that is a settled deal. But in the meantime, I'm still going back and living in my own house. My brothers and sisters are irritating. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and my parents sometimes are getting on my nerves. I can't wait until the day when the bridegroom comes and takes the bride away. And one of the main things, I hope so, I hope that gets you pretty pumped. Uh, because one of the main things that I want to get you to think about... I, let me back up again, be real honest with you. That stuff I said earlier about the whole idea of one way to heaven, I don't, I don't want to minimize that at all. I, I want to make sure we understand that. This is not, hey, try, try, try your best, and uh, I'm sure God's going to accept a devout person who doesn't believe in Jesus. It's not what the Bible says. It says, he that has the Son, Jesus Christ has life. He that doesn't have the Son shall not know life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's what the Scripture says. So I want to make sure that I, that I communicate that plainly. But also, I want to get us looking forward to this. Okay? I don't know. Honestly, folks, I don't know how else we're going to make it through this world sometimes. It's a nasty place. And we got sickness everywhere. We... Uh, <laughs> We have elections in three weeks. Uh, let's fire up the nasty meter again. Uh, let, let's have that. How in the world are we going to make it through? I, I love looking at and focusing on eternity and love this idea today. The marriage supper of the Lamb. It doesn't get any better than that.
Oh, wait. Can I, what time is it? Yeah, okay, one more quick story. We did. <laughs> we did. Uh, one, one more. Let, let, let me tell you. Uh, 2000, what was the COVID year the, where that first hit? 20. Yeah, 2020, at the end of that year, uh, New Year's of that year, I have one relative who, uh, who has some money. <laughs> Be real honest with you. Uh, he is uh, my nephew-in-law, I guess. He's married to my niece, and their daughter was getting married New Year's Eve, and they were putting on a shindig, yeah. Uh, it was down in Round Rock, Texas, and Francis and I said, we need a party. Uh, so we're going down to Round Rock, Texas, and uh, they had rented the nicest facility they could find. It was a New Year's Eve wedding. You, you knew that cost boo-hoo bucks. Uh, and uh, everything was top of line, first class. I mean, I was hiding my suit in the corner <laughs> uh, because I didn't, I didn't fit the crowd, but they had celebration to end celebration, and everybody was so ready for it. After that year, it was like, yes! Uh, you know, we're a part of that crazy, and we celebrate. My friends and I laughed because we actually stayed up past midnight. Uh, and not only that, but we were in the central time zone. So that was another hour added in there, and we, we, we had such a good time about waiting to party like, like that because it's, okay, that again is a picture of what we have here. Yes, this world is fouled up as it could be. It really is, and it keeps you think, Pastor, don't you think things are going to get better? I really don't. I, you know, maybe it'll take a little brave. I hope so. Uh, I'm not trying to be negative, but to be honest with you, our world's pretty fouled up. But this world is not my home, okay? This world is not my home. I'm engaged to somebody who's coming. I'm engaged in the word, but I can't say that word. Uh, but uh, I am committed, firmly, sol solidly committed uh, to the one who's going to come take me out of all this. That's pretty sweet, isn't it? Can you imagine? No, we can't. We can only imagine. Father, um, may the truth that we've discussed today, the truth of eternity, your rule and reign, your victory that is already ours, uh, may they make their way into our hearts and minds and into our lives this week. Lord, may our cup of thankfulness really overflow uh, when we think about the, what you have done in our lives. And Lord, as, as we navigate a fouled up world, may we understand that this is not your kingdom that reigns forever. This is a world destined to fall. And uh, that explains a lot, Lord. But also what gives us hope beyond this life, Lord, fortify our, our minds, gird up our, our minds uh, with those truths as we go forward. I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.